רגע, לפני שמתחילים, אם אתם יכולים, בבקשה, דרגו אותנו באפליקציית הפודקאסטים שלכם. זה מאוד מאוד יעזור לנו להפיץ את הבשורה של הערוץ ליותר אנשים. ממש תודה רבה לכם. פתיח ומתחילים. Okay. Scott Aronson, thank you so much for coming. How are you today? I'm all right. Uh, how are you? Very, very good. I'm looking forward for this conversation. I think like in the last 10 days, I'm just reading and listening to your stuff. And this is just mind-blowing. Well, thank so, you. I, I don't know. <laughs> We have so much to cover. And I went over a lot of your material. And I think that... You touch upon three very different interesting subjects. One is quantum computing, of course. The other is comp- computational complexity. And the last is the foundation of AI safety. So with your permission, we start with the first. And in your blog, which has a very, very cool name, yeah, the Shtetl blog, in your blog, the, and I will, oh, okay. Uh, If you take nothing else from this blog, quantum computers won't solve hard problems instantly by just trying all solution in parallel. And I thought that quantum computing is all about solving solutions, solving many solutions in parallel. So could you please explain this quote that appears on the first page on your blog? Sure. Well, you know, a, a quantum computer has something to do with parallelism, but it's a different kind of parallelism than uh, almost anyone is used to, right? So uh, the, the uh, central thing that quantum mechanics uh, uh, has said about the world uh, since it was discovered 100 years ago is that for every possible way that something could happen, so for example, every path that a particle could take In order to uh, reach a screen or uh, you know every uh, uh, path that a computer could take to reaching the answer to a problem uh, you have to assign a number uh, called an amplitude okay and th- these amplitudes are related to probabilities right like if you didn't know which path a particle took you could say okay I think there's a 30% chance that it went this way there's a 70% chance that it went that way Right? And that would be you know uh, a kind of parallelism, if you like, but it's a parallelism that's only in your head, okay? Because as soon as you you know you could say, well, really, the particle is in one place or the other. I just don't know which one, right? And of course, as soon as you look, then you would know. and uh, and and your looking wouldn't change it. Once okay? you open the box, the cat is either uh, alive or dead. Right, but if it were a classical cat, then it was either alive or dead even before you opened the box. Right? <laughs> right? Okay. Very true. Now, Thank you. Right. Not right. Now, uh, uh, the, the big change in quantum mechanics is that, uh, okay, well, you know, if, if you talk about probabilities, right? Okay, you know, we, we, we do that even in ordinary life, you know, the probability that there will be... Uh, Uh, a storm in Israel on a certain day as uh, apparently there is today right uh, uh, you might say there's a 10% chance 
you know, a 20% chance, you'd never say that there's a negative 20% chance. That would just be nonsense, okay? But amplitudes in quantum mechanics can be positive or negative numbers. And in fact, they can even be complex numbers, okay? So they can even involve the square root of minus one. Okay, so, uh, so, so to every way that something could happen, you know, the cat being alive, the cat being dead, the particle going this way, the particle going that way, you have to assign this complex number called an amplitude. Okay, and now uh, uh, if you look, so if you open the box or if you measure to see where the particle is, then these amplitudes determine the probabilities for the different uh, outcomes that you you can see, right? And the rule, I hope you don't mind if I if I state it because it's you know one of the most important rules in all of physics. It's called uh, the Born rule after Max Born, uh, and it says that the probability that you see uh, a, a certain outcome is equal to the square of the absolute value of the amplitude of that outcome because right. probability cannot be negative and cannot That's be complex right. exactly. you need to convert the amplitude the complex amplitude into something meaningful in in the realm of probabilities which is yeah. a number between zero and one exactly nature has to do that somehow and this is the way it does it uh and uh so uh you know now and and now you know looking in quantum mechanics is a destructive operation Right, so if you you look, let's say at a, a you know the 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 basic building block of a quantum computer is just a bit that can have some amplitude for being zero and some amplitude for being one. Okay, so or as we also say, it can be in a superposition of the zero state and the one state. Okay, and such a, a bit we call a quantum bit or a qubit. Okay, and now if I have a qubit that's in a superposition of zero and one some amplitude for each, and I look at it, I ask it whether it's zero or one, so to speak, then I force it to make up its mind, right? It picks one or the other according to the Born rule, and whichever one it picks, let's say that it decides that it's zero, then from then on it's zero, right? So my looking has now changed it, okay? Uh, and, and, that, and, that, and that's really key, okay? Now, uh, but okay, but but now you know you might ask why isn't this just a fancy way of of talking about probability, right? Uh, uh, well, it, it's different, okay. And the reason it's different is that if you have some event that could happen in one way with a positive amplitude and another way with a negative amplitude, okay, then you have to add up the two those two contributions, and they can cancel each other out, okay. Or as we say, they can interfere destructively. So that the total amplitude will be zero, and then that thing will never happen at all. Okay. Uh, so in the the famous double slit experiment, which uh, Richard Feynman used to say, you know, contains all of quantum mechanics in it. Right. If you just you shoot a uh, photon, let's say, at a screen with two small slits in it, and then you look at where it ends up on a second screen, and what you find is there are certain spots where the photon never appears. Okay, uh, and we would explain this by saying that, well, it had two ways that it could have gotten there, right, through the first slit or through the second slit, <laughs> but one path had a positive amplitude, the other path had negative amplitude, <laughs> so they canceled each other out. Okay, and the way to test this is that amazingly, if you close off one of the slits, <laughs> that now the photon can appear, 
right? Because now the amplitude is only positive or only negative, okay? So to say that again, by decreasing the number of paths that a photon can take to get somewhere, you can increase the chance that it gets there. So, okay? so and, th and that's kind of the signature of, of uh, you know, that, that, that we are dealing with quantum mechanics, that we're dealing with amplitudes mm -hmm. and not just with conventional probabilities, okay? So now but, I can answer, yeah. Okay, just a second. Yeah. But what you're doing, and I can see the brackets on the board behind your back. I can see the yeah. brackets all, all over the place. Now, I can... I didn't just do that decoratively, by the way. This <laughs> okay, I guess you know the, the paintings, okay? Yeah, very nice. Okay, nice each, yeah. each one yeah, of yeah. us, yes. Yeah. I have this very nice cap, okay? So the idea is, if you talk physics or science fiction physics or physics that mm -hmm. no one can understand, so... Every, then everything is fine. But you are talking quantum computing. Yes. And to the layman, we know what bit is, which can be either be one or zero, as shown at, as Claude Shannon explained us. But mm -hmm. we, I used to think as a qubit, as, as a bit that can be simultaneously one and zero together. And if I concatenate eight bits, eight qubits in a row, I can get simultaneously two to the power of eight different per different permutations. But you say once you look at the qubit, it is either one or zero. That's so why right. qubits are so important in yep. quantum computing, not in the philosophy of quantum mechanics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. So okay, so 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 now that we uh, uh, understand what amplitudes are. Now we can answer your question from before, right? Of, uh, you, know, it, it, you know, when you read almost any popular article about quantum computing, uh, it says basically what you said, right? It says a, a quantum computer is just a device that uses these qubits to explore every possible solution simultaneously, right? And, and now we can finally say, in what sense is that true? And in what sense is that not true? Okay, so, uh, so so here's the point, okay? If um, if I have let's say a thousand qubits, let's 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 make it a thousand, you know, and that and 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 physically that's not a lot, right? A qubit physically can just be you know any physical system that can be in two different states when you measure it. So for example, an atomic nucleus that can have you know two different spins when you when you measure it, right? Uh, that that would be an example. Okay, so now we're talking about a thousand atomic nuclei. Right. That's not actually a very lot, right? You know, it's uh, you could, you know, uh, put a thousand uh, atoms together. It's still too small to see, right? Uh, and yet quantum mechanics is unequivocal that if I have a thousand qubits, then now uh, the number of amplitudes that I need is two to the thousand power. Which right? is inaccessible it's, number. Right, which is more than the, you know, number of... Uh, uh, numbers that number of everything down. in the if universe I, times I, everything times everything. If I the entire observable universe with paper, you know, then may, maybe, maybe I could write down 10 to the 80th numbers or something like that. Okay. But now we're, we're talking about two to the thousand, which is 10, you know, more than 10 to the 300 power. Okay. So, you know, so, so, so there's this, this unbelievable vastness in these, these lists of amplitudes but you know, quantum mechanics has insisted since 1926 that they're there. You know, we can't see them directly, but we need them to calculate the probabilities of the things that we can see. Okay, so so now you know, a uh, with, with with a quantum computer, 
well, what is the idea? So, you know, we would, let's say we, we would build a computer with a thousand qubits. And then you might say, wow, this is, this is awesome, right? If I have a problem, like let's say breaking some cryptographic code or, you know, solving some, some optimization or machine learning problem, right? And it has two to the thousand power solutions. All I have to do is program my quantum computer to try all of the solutions at once, right? And in a certain sense, it can do that. That's even a very easy thing for a quantum computer to do, to you know, create an equal superposition you know, with equal amplitudes for all of those two to the thousand solutions. Okay, the trouble is this. Yes, because what you told me just now is fairy tales, and now you're going to no, no, no. the now we're going fair. down to the real world from it's, quantum to quantum computing. I've been talking about the real world this entire time. Okay, two to the power of <laughs> of one thousand. I'm sorry. Okay, but how how do you program? I mean, how do you program? Okay, yeah. Now now import okay. what? Well, Include well, what? Well, what? 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 What I was about to say <laughs> is that for a computer to be useful to us, you know, at some point we have to look at it, we have to measure it, we have to see an output state, right? And uh, you know, the now now if you just take this equal superposition over two to the thousandth power uh, solutions and you measure it to you know ask for a solution, not having done anything else, then the rules of quantum mechanics, you know, the Born rule you know, tells you exactly what you're going to see. And what you'll see will just be a completely random answer, right? And now here's the point. If you had just wanted a completely random answer, you could have picked one yourself. You could have just flipped a coin a thousand times and you could have saved the billions. I don't need a quantum computer to get to, a, yeah, to build, to, to build, a to random build digit. A quantum computer. Right. So, so, then, so then the question is, what is the point of a quantum computer? What can it do that a conventional computer cannot do or cannot do as quickly? Okay, And the only hope of getting an advantage from a quantum computer is to exploit the way that these amplitudes being complex numbers are different from conventional probabilities. Okay, So with every algorithm for a quantum computer, uh, the idea is that you're trying to choreograph a pattern of interference of the amplitudes. And it should have the property that for each wrong answer, each answer that you don't want, uh, some of the contributions to its amplitude are positive, some are negative, you know, they point maybe in all different directions in the complex plane, and they cancel each other out, okay? Or, or, or mostly so, okay? Whereas for the answer that you do want, for the right answer, you would like all the contributions to its amplitude to be in phase, to be pointing in the same direction in the uh, complex plane. So for example, to be all positive numbers or all negative numbers, right? Uh, to constructively interfere, right? And if you can arrange that, then when you make a measurement, the Born rule tells you that you will see the right answer with a high probability. Because the right answer won't cancel each wave, but be additive. Okay, exactly. now the question exactly. is, how do you how do you program your quantum states to to behave the way you want to behave? Let's say that you want to crack a a, a one thousand bit code. You mm -hmm. don't know what the code is. How yeah. can you? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, ho I mean, hopefully, you know what the code is. You just don't know what is the key to crack it, right? And the problem is that there are too many possible keys, right? So this has been the problem for you know for for I would say for for my field for you know the theory of quantum algorithms for the past thirty uh, years, which is uh, uh, you know nature has given you this absolutely bizarre hammer this interference of amplitudes. Now we have to figure out what nails, uh, if any, can that hammer hit, right? What, what is that good for? Uh, and now when, you know, the, the idea of quantum computing was um, um, uh, first proposed, you know, in the, the early 1980s, uh, most famously by Richard Feynman and uh, David Deutsch. And, um, and, and, and at the time, they, they really only could think of one thing that a quantum computer would be good for, okay? And, and that thing was simulating quantum mechanics itself, okay? So, you know, you know which, which, which actually, you know, you know, even after 40 years, that's probably still the most important practical uh, application that we know of uh, to this day, okay? I mean, chemists and physicists, you know, are, are constantly faced with the problem that they want to simulate, you know, a complicated molecule, like let's, or, you know, or a material, let's say they want to uh, build a high temperature superconductor, or they want to build mm -hmm. a solar cell that is more efficient, or, you know, uh, design a new chemical reaction, you know, that will make fertilizer more efficiently, or uh, capture carbon dioxide from the air or, uh, uh, you know, uh, something like that, or a protein, you know, uh, uh, that will uh, bind to a receptor in a cell in, in a certain way, okay? And, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, uh, trouble is, you know, if, if I have, let's say, 100 interacting electrons, and I have to write down their wave function, which just means like the, the list of the amplitudes for all the possible ways that these electrons could be, I now have, you know, exponential of a hundred, you know, let's say, you know, two to the hundred or more uh, complex numbers to keep track of. Okay. And so, you know, even today, right, that, that pushes, you know, uh, uh, supercomputers to the limit or it can, right. Uh, you know, a, a good fraction of the high performance computing that is used in science is used for trying to simulate quantum mechanics, okay? And uh, so, 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 you know, uh, Feynman's original thought, I think uh, 40 years ago, was that if nature is giving us this lemon, you know, the, the, of, of uh, being so hard to simulate, then why don't we make lemonade? You know, why don't we build uh, computers that themselves would, would uh, uh, be based on the same phenomena, okay? But then, you know, uh, 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 if that was the only application, then you might say, well, that's interesting to, you know, physicists and chemists maybe, but, but you know, less so to the, to the wider world. Uh, the, you know, big discovery in the 1990s that made, you know, much of the rest of the world excited about quantum computing was that sometimes for certain special problems, you can get a quantum computer to give you a speed up you know, even even on tasks that have nothing to do with quantum mechanics. Okay, and uh, the most famous example here is finding the, the prime. The Shor algorithm. Yes, the Shor's algorithm. Yes, uh, you know, and this was really the discovery that put 
quantum computing on the map for most of the scientific world. Okay? Just so, a second, for the yeah. sake of our viewers who are not familiar with the Shor algorithm, if yes. I'm not wrong, it was invented by Peter Shor, one of the yes. founding fathers of, uh, of this field. And yes. uh, by the way, a nephew of Peter Shor is my student. His name ah. is Almog Shor. So, oh, all right. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, well, well, I mean... I mean, I mean, Peter Shore used to be my my uh, colleague at MIT. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> okay. um, I did not, I did not know, I did not know that he had a nephew in Israel. But uh, okay, um, basically, it's the nephew, it's the grandson of his brother. So it's basically it's a it's a a variation of his nephew. And anyway, this is a way to compute, I think, prime numbers or something uh, like yes, this. It's a way to find the prime factors of a gigantic composite number, right? And again, so. this is, again, just in theory, or can I put this algorithm right now into a quantum computer and the quantum computer produce result in a reasonable time? Well, we can come back to the, to the, to the question of, of, of building quantum computers, which is a whole separate discussion, okay? But the, the short answer is Shor's algorithm can be used right now uh, uh, with a quant real quantum computer to factor 21 into three times seven with high statistical confidence, okay? The hard part mm -hmm. is scaling it up to, to much bigger numbers, okay? Uh, the theory is unequivocal that if and when we can scale it up to, to much, much bigger numbers, then you know, it could give you a way to factor, let's say, a 2,000 digit number, you know, where you know, with, with the best known algorithms for classical computers that might take longer than the age of the universe. You know, okay. the, there is a qu quote by Jeff Hinton, and it's a funny quote, if it works for 1,000, if we scale it to 1 million, it should work also, no problem. <laughs> and well, right. think... this is, well, so, so the, the way that I think about it is that, uh, you know, the, the, the only way to find out is to try, right? The, you know, the, the idea that, you know, the rules of quantum mechanics... What was... could go wrong? Yeah, the, the, right. The, the idea is that, is that, you know, the, the idea that the rules of quantum mechanics will continue to work the way that, you know, we think that they do you know, is sort of the the conservative possibility, right? It's the boring mm -hmm. possibility, okay? And that's the possibility that that would would imply that that quantum computing should work, right? If something else is true, then that is more exciting, right? Then that's that's a huge change to our current understanding of physics. Uh, but either way, let's find out the truth, right? And so so that's. Um, but okay, but but now you know you know uh, um um you know there was already you know just a mathematical question, just taking the rules of quantum mechanics as given, you know like what why should they help you to factor numbers, right? And you know and that was that was a a major non-obvious discovery, right? And you know so so I do teach it, you know I teach how Shor's algorithm works in my undergraduate class, right? But it but it takes me three lectures. Okay, and you know, and that's after we've we've introduced all of the basics of no, it's a very non-intuitive algorithm. Right, but 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 basically, you know, so so you know, the, the first thing to say is that you have to uh, um, uh, uh, you have to choreograph, you know, these this interference pattern, right, where you get destructive interference for every number that is not a factor, and you get constructive interference only for the factors or for for it's actually it's it's for other numbers that you can then use to figure out the factors okay um 
Uh, but now the tricky part is you have to do this, even though, you know, you yourself don't know in advance what the factors are, right? If you knew that, what would be the point, right? And of course, you have to, you know, it's not enough just to do it, to, you know, figure out a way for a quantum computer to do something, right? You have to do it much faster than any classical algorithm could, you know, or any known classical algorithm uh, could do the same thing. Because again, uh, uh, otherwise, what would be the point? Okay, so in order to do this, uh, Shor took advantage of some very, very special properties of factoring. Uh, the fact that factoring can be reduced to finding the period of a periodic function, you know, like a, 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 like a sine wave, a periodic sequence. Uh, and uh, uh, it was a periodic sequence that could be computed quickly uh, for, uh, you know, uh, uh, in superposition. And, uh, uh, um, and, 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 and then, you know, he gave a, and this was kind of the core of it, he gave a fast quantum algorithm for finding the period of a, of a periodic function, okay, which involved uh, taking this gigantic list of amplitudes and, you know, doing a set of operations on the qubits that would have the effect of taking the Fourier transform of that list of amplitudes. Okay, which this is know, great. Or, now, yeah. with your permission, I want to go uh, to take it to another direction and yeah. ask you a personal question. You are in the okay. field of quantum computing for a long time. And up until now, most of what we do in, in the field is basically theory. And we lay out the foundations mm -hmm. for a quantum computer, for a physical quantum compu computer, if and when. And my question is, Are are you disappointed that we haven't come up with a quantum computer yet? Yeah. Because all you're doing right now is just lay out the foundation. You need to yeah. test your hypothesis. Yeah. Well, okay. So so um, you know, there 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 are a couple of of of, of comments I should make. Well, one of them is that you know every experiment in 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 quantum computing, you know, or or in 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 quantum mechanics in general, right? Uh, 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 if it works at all, then it just confirms the same math that we already knew, right? <laughs> and so this is one of the biggest things that the popular articles just, just you know, uh, uh, get wrong be because you know it, it's almost like 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 uh, uh, like 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 pe people can't handle that truth, right? You know, they want that we we'd be constantly discovering new things from the experiments, mm -hmm. but you know the, the the new things that you discover, you know, from the experiments is mostly about how do you get such and such to work, right? How do you actually build a quantum system, you know, that will do such and such? And, 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 and what is the noise, you know, uh, in what ways does it fail to be perfect, right? To the extent that it's perfect, then it's just reproducing the same math that Schrodinger and Heisenberg wrote down a hundred years ago. Right. This is a very. There's been. There's this been is very depressing. Changes. This is very depressing. In a, in, in a way, it is right. In a way, uh, uh, some people would love for for mm. quantum mechanics itself to mm. be to have to be revised by some new discovery. But you know, all of the uh, uh, progress in fundamental physics since the 1920s, you know, has just been more stuff built on top of quantum mechanics. You can okay. say it's been more applications running on the quantum mechanics operating system. The and operating let, system hasn't changed. 
And <laughs> let me ask you uh, yeah. the final question regarding yeah. quantum computing. Uh, yeah. You said in one of your recent interviews that you immigrated to the field of quantum, of quantum mechanics from computer science, which means yes. that you just very late on the road You learned the brackets and the bosons and the photons and the dark matter. You came from computer science. Well, I mean, I mean, I, so, so I learned the bras and cats when I was, let's say, 16 or 17. So okay, is, not the bras and cats. This, this, this would have been in the 1990s, right? Uh, but, you know, you, you could say that it was late and that, you know, I, I had already learned, you know, programming and I'd learned, you know, the, the P versus NP question. Yeah. You know, I'd learned some classical computer science from that point. Uh, you know, I, I I was not nearly as strong in physics. And, and you know, my question is, yeah, yeah. There, there is a quote in, in Hebrew. I would say it in mm -hmm. Hebrew. I tried to translate. You speak Hebrew? Kesedr. Uh, oh, okay, okay. So, so just one sentence. If you are a visitor, a one-time visitor, you can see many flows. Many flows, many defects, because you know the natives can't see it. And my question is, you are not native in physics. And in your opinion, does it bring you a new, fresher perspective that you say, can say to all the physicists, listen, I, I think that this is the wrong path to go? Uh, so, so I have um, uh, I, I have not been able to sort of uh, correct the physicists, you know, about, you know, the basic laws <laughs> governing reality, right? If I had been able to do that, then you would have heard about it, right? <laughs> that would have but, okay, deal. okay, but, okay. But, but having come from computer science, you know, has given me a perspective that is different from what the physicists have, and which has sometimes been very useful. Okay, so, you know, a, a big example was the uh, 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 work I did on something called boson sampling, which is a sort of rudimentary type of quantum computing, where you just take a bunch of photons and you pass them through a network of beam splitters, and then you just measure where they end up. Okay, and, you know, the, the uh, uh, experts at quantum optics had had a strong intuition that that kind of setup was not going to be enough. To do you know interesting quantum computation okay but then uh, my student and I kind of coming at it from a computer science perspective we said well well wait a minute you know the 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 amplitudes uh, th that show up in that setup have a certain mathematical form they're a function of matrices called permanence and we know a lot about the permanent function in uh, classical computer science actually I, I I learned a lot about it from my former postdoc advisor the great uh, Israeli uh, theoretical computer scientist Avi Victorson right and uh, you know one of the things that, that that I that I learned from 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 Avi was about the uh, you know that how not only you know is, is the permanent so hard to compute you know it's even uh, hard to compute on any you know decent fraction of, of random randomly chosen matrices and we said if if If, if these permanents are showing up as amplitudes, then could this really be so uninteresting, right? And then, you know, just like, you know, we didn't even understand the basics of how bosons and fermions worked when we, when we started on this, which was, uh, uh, you know, 12 or 13 years ago, right? We needed uh, uh, 
um, um, uh, a, a physicist to to teach us that these uh, formalism <laughs> of what are what the physicists call creation and annihilation operators and uh, Fox space and uh, all these things. But you know, once once we learned that, then we were able to say, okay, there is a way to do an interesting quantum computation using only you know just uh, 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 photons just you know, traveling passively through through beam splitters. And that then led to, uh, you know, a, a, a significant experimental effort, right? And uh, there's, you know, just, just a few months ago, I toured uh, this company in Toronto called Xanadu, you know, and they have like two rooms that are just, you know, full of equipment that are doing boson sampling. And they're like, you know, this is your experiment, Scott. And I'm like, okay, I, I, you know, I believe you, you know, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to touch any of the wires. I'm going to believe you that, 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 that this is the photon source and that this is not just your coffee maker or whatever. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Okay. So, uh, but, uh, but but yeah so 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 you know so so uh, to, to 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 answer your earlier question you know uh, we all you know th th this stuff is getting slowly brought into experimental reality you know it takes a long time right I mean the the you know the analogy that I like to give to anchor people is that you know uh, uh, Charles Babbage you know had had the, the the key ideas of a programmable computer the it's different 18... engine. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The, well, the, the, the analytical engine is where he really had the, you know, I, I would say the full, what we would now call the idea of a Turing universal, you know, uh, a mm. computer, although he didn't express it mathematically, right? But, uh, and he didn't know, the, build the, it. The, 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 the idea was there. That was the 1820s, the 1830s. And he tried and tried to physically realize it. And, you know, the, the parts just mostly just couldn't be machined to a good enough precision back then. And then at some point the money ran out. And then a hundred, more than a hundred years later, you know, the transistor was invented, right? Which you is know, what really made this practical. Okay? <laughs> I teach computer uh, architecture in Israel in yeah. my university. And in, and in the course, I show the students the different engines that was built like uh, 20 years ago, you know, we, right, 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 uh, right, right. And so, so I, mean, I, I, mean, I mean, something like it could have worked if, you know, if people had just pushed hard enough on it. Right. But, uh, you know, even, even then it was sort of marginal, right. You know, so the whole computer industry was sort of waiting on just the invention of a good enough physical building block. Right. Which was, you know, of course there were some intermediate things. There was the vacuum tube, the electromechanical relay, but then what really let it scale was the transistor, yeah. right? And um, so I would say that, you know, if there's a quantum computing version of the transistor, then it hasn't been invented yet, right? Okay. We are, you know, we have ideas for it, you know, on paper, okay? But, you know, after 25 years of, you know, serious experimental effort, you know, we are optimistically, we are now in the vacuum tube stage of quantum computing. You know, backpropagation, right? yeah. and I think that you said it, backpropagation was invented in the 80s, and many people thought, you know, this could never work, you know, you can't backpropagate with more than two layers, but yeah. some something happened. Yeah. And then yeah. it was. Well, I mean, 
Look, I mean, I, I, I studied AI when, you know, uh, I was a CS student in the, in the 1990s. In the and winter. We in all the... about back, back propagation. And, you know, that's, that's kind of neat. You know, there's all neat ideas. But then, you know, of course, neural nets just didn't work that well, right? And usually if you take something that doesn't work and you just scale it up by a, fa a factor of a million, you know, you expect it's not going to suddenly start working, you know? And, yeah, uh, this is a great uh, quote. Course, this is a great quote from you. That, that was not the case. Now, before uh, we move on to computational complexity, there is a beautiful quote for one of your conversations and it goes like this. Science is not about confirming our intuitions. It is about challenging them. Now, if you can please elaborate, and I think that this quote is strongly related to another question I'm going to ask you later on, please. Uh, well, I, I, I don't even remember if I said that, but uh, if I, if I, if I, if, if, if I have if, the if, reference, I have the, okay. Do you agree? Do you agree? I don't remember what, or rather, I don't, I don't remember what the context was. You know, I, 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 I plausibly could have said that, but I would say, of course, you know, the point and, you know, if, 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 if all you ever did in science was to confirm what you already believed, then, you know, it wouldn't be so interesting, right? What would, what, 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 what would be the point? Okay. And okay, uh, which, which leads me to <laughs> P versus NP hmm. versus the uh, the two hundred thousand dollar story, and let me quote from your blog, okay? All right. This, okay. Let me quote from your blog. The idea is, uh, I think, very simple. Someone uh, proposed that p is unequal np, and you said on your blog, if Vinari de la Pucarair is uh, awarded the one million, million car, yeah. yes, yeah. the one million dollar Clay Millennium Prize for his proof yes. of P uh, unequal NP, then I, Scott Aronson, <laughs> will personally supplement yeah. his prize by the yeah. amount of two hundred thousand dollars, and you yeah. uh, and you add, I'm dead serious, and I can <laughs> and I can afford it just about as well. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yes. What uh, your wife so, said about this? Yeah, cat. right, right. So I, I should say, uh, uh, Donna, my uh, uh, Israeli wife, who you mentioned earlier, uh, she has forbidden me from making more such such bets <laughs> on my blog. Uh, 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 although you know ones were you know uh, 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 sometimes you know she she's relaxed that when you know even she is completely confident of something right she, she she's a I mean she she is a theoretical computer scientist too um um you know I was I was uh, uh, faced with the problem so 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 okay P versus NP is this you know is maybe the the most famous unsolved problem of of classical theoretical computer science, right? It's a problem that's been with us since, um, you know, for, you know for, for more than 50 years, okay? And uh, uh, it, it asks, you know, so, so like we were, we were talking about how, how quantum computers can uh, 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 sometimes, you know, get these exponential speed ups, you know, like even when there were exponentially many different solutions to a problem, you know, a quantum computer can sometimes exploit interference to just uh, concentrate amplitude on the best one. Okay. And, and, but, but now the, amazingly, if you, you know, if you want to be mathematically rigorous about it, it's like, you know, we can't rule out that, that there could, you know, be a general way, even for classical computers to do that. Right. Like if I just tell you how to recognize the solution to a problem, 
right? So I, I give you, you know, a bunch of constraints that need to be satisfied, like, you know, which people have to sit next to each other at a dinner party and which people have to not sit next to each other right and you know so it's it's it, it would be easy to check you know if you've solved the problem or you know think of a, a sudoku puzzle or, or something like okay. that right uh, you know it's easy to you know s assume that you've got a huge space of possible solutions but it's easy to check any any give any claim solution to see if it's right it will be now, cube, for example. Yeah, that's right. And so, 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 of course, given enough time, a computer can solve any such problem, right? And you know, it can solve it by simply enumerating all the possible solutions one by one by one. Okay. The trouble is, you know, that could take us longer than the age of the universe, right? Uh, uh, if you've got two to the thousandth power uh, different solutions, as we were talking about before. Um, so uh, so so now, but now, you know, you could ask the question, you know, could there be, you know, a, a fast algorithm, you know, to just find the solution whenever there there is a solution in every such case, you know, even just running on a standard computer, you know, not even on a quantum computer. Okay. And the amazing thing is that, you know, we, we uh, I, I would say, you know, the experts in the field, we almost all believe that there is not such an algorithm okay but but no one no one can which means solution. just a second which means yeah. that p doesn't equal is unequal np yes okay yeah. so i should say p uh is is roughly speaking the class of all the problems that we can solve efficiently with a standard digital computer let me phrase it differently yeah. with your permission right. if the paper would have suggested that p is equal np you would a bet for much higher <laughs> amount. Right. Well, I mean, if, if someone yes? if someone discovers that p equals np and the algorithm is actually practical, then they should be able to just implement that algorithm and just as a very first step, they could just mine all of the remaining bitcoin that there is. No, just a second. They could just, I, they could I, just I, make themselves billions of dollars at that point. Just a second, right. but you know, we we know Greg Perelman who solves the Poincaré and many mathematicians don't go for the money. But I, I, I want to quote a beautiful sentence from right. like a, a, your insights regarding what does it mean if mm -hmm. P equals NP. And you say, if P equals NP, then the world will be a profoundly different place than we usually, usually assume it to be. There would be no spatial value in creative leaps, no fundamental gap between solving a problem and recognizing the solution once it's found. Everyone who could appreciate a symphony would be Mozart. Everyone who could follow a step-by-step -step argument would be Gauss. And this is great. I didn't, I never, it never occurred to me that the implications of P versus NP is that the philosophical recognizing versus solving. Yeah, well, I've taken a lot of flack for that quote, right? Because uh, uh, pe people have have often misunderstood it to be saying, you know, that that it that it somehow, uh, you know, that P versus NP is a question about, you know, whether uh, computers can be, you know, as as creative as humans, right? And uh, you know, the truth is that even if, as we expect, P is not equal to NP. Right. That that would you know, that would be no barrier to a computer being just as creative as we are. 
right? Uh, or to simulating everything that our brains do, okay? You know, if, if that's impossible, then it's not because of P versus NP, right? It, it, it has to be for, for some other reason. Okay, but uh, what what P versus NP is really asking about is about the the you know is there a fundamental distinction between the hardness of finding a solution and the hardness of recognizing the solution once it is found? Okay, so if you can program a computer to recognize a uh, uh, you know either a correct mathematical proof or it could even be you know, a great work of art or a great symphony or, or anything like that, then can you also program your computer to quickly find uh, uh, the, the, the thing that you just programmed it to recognize? Okay, that's the P versus NP question. Okay, and, now now yeah. let me take it to another uh, in another direction. I came from right. electrical engineering and mm -hmm. all I knew was that there is P NP, NP complete, and NP hard. But, yeah. we, but there is the complexity zoo. And in the complexity yeah. zoo, we have a lot more uh, yeah. a space, which is uh, a P space, which is very, very important. So my question is, how come that I've never heard of those many, many uh, animals in the zoo? Is it just my well, ignorance or, or, or why well, NP? Look. Yes, I, I, I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the knowledge that experts in one field have about, you know, every other field is often limited, right? My, my five-year-old son, you know, knows giraffes and elephants. I'm not sure if he knows capybaras, right? And, uh, uh, um, you know, and all the other uh, exotic animals that exist, okay? Uh, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, P and NP and NP complete, you know, these were kind of the basic classes of computational problems that sort of started the field of computational complexity, you know, half a century ago. They're ones that had a very great influence on, on other scientific fields because a huge fraction of the problems that uh, people actually uh, uh, want to solve in real life turn out to be provably NP-hard problems. Right. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and sometimes that gives you useful information. It tells you that you can give up on looking for a fast algorithm to solve your problem because not because we can prove it's impossible, but just because if you found it, then it would imply fast algorithms for these thousands of other problems that people have also failed to solve. Right. And so so you could say like like the difficulty is then, you know, when you prove something is NP hard, then you know that, that the difficulty in solving it is not something specific to your problem. Right? It, it's seems, it, it seems called that there is but, something prof in intrinsically mysterious about about this zoo because we can't even say if P is equal P space. Oh, that's right. You, 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 if you get, you know, uh, give mm -hmm. a better than a linear bound mm -hmm. on, on NP-complete problems, it seems that the questions that we are asking mm -hmm. are very easy mm -hmm. to understand, but mm -hmm. the solution is inaccessible. Although yeah. we know a lot of ways to attack those problems in very mm -hmm. different, in very, in many different ways. Yes. Uh, so, so how come the notion of complexity and all yeah. the sort of complexity yeah. is still hasn't been solved. Well, this, this is hardly the first time in the history of math that people can pose a question 
kind of long before you know the full technology becomes available to answer those questions right i mean you know the 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 ancient greeks wondered about you know how do you uh, uh trisect the angle how do you uh, square the circle right and i'm sure that at least some of them suspected that it was impossible okay but the tools for proving such things were impossible wouldn't come along until the 1800s right and you know so i hope that p versus np will be solved you know in sooner than 2000 years okay? and p and p versus p space NP versus P space and all of the other. Now, now it's not as if we know nothing, right? Uh, so, you know, you mentioned that there are hundreds of animals in the zoo, right? You know, and yeah, so, so basically, you know, the, the, like, like uh, uh, um, you know, for each idea that someone has about a model of computation, you know, there is then the class of all of the problems that that model can solve, right? So there's a complexity class for quantum computation. For what can a quantum computer efficiently solve? That one we call BQP, bounded error quantum polynomial time, right? BQP, you know, sits, you know, between P and P space. And we don't know, no one knows the relationship between BQP and NP. We okay, have so, BPP now. We yeah, don't yeah, have BQP, you know, so, 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 so that there's hundreds of classes that aren't even in this picture that you're showing. Yes. Right? <laughs> you know, even, even this picture is just a tiny subset. Uh, 20 years ago, uh, when I was a grad student, I made a website called the Complexity Zoo, which has a, uh, which is like an encyclopedia of complexity classes. It has about 500 of them. You know, I haven't, I haven't updated it in years, but I'm sure I could add a few hundred more. Okay. Wow. Um, so, uh, so, so, you know, I, I'd say, you know, this is simply a case where our curiosity has, has, you know, run ahead of our mathematical tools. Right. You know, I, I sometimes say, look, you know, if we were physicists, right, there would be no problem. We would have just declared that P not equal to NP is a law of nature that we've discovered. Right. And we would have given ourselves Nobel Prizes for discovering. <laughs> and, you know, and if later it turned out that P equals NP, then maybe we'd give ourselves more Nobel Prizes, you know, for the law's overthrow. Mm -hmm. Right. But, you know, uh, um, you know, the, there are sort of cultural differences. Oh, you know, very mm -hmm. often my friends in physics will call something a law or a discovery when mathematicians would call it a conjecture. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because we have, the, you know, you know, in math, you know, the bar for calling something a discovery is as high as you can imagine, right? I you need to need think about it. Rigorous proof. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and that bar, you know, can be very, very hard to reach, you know, even for things that, that, you know, we all like, we, we all live our lives on, you know, on the assumption that, that P is not equal to NP. Right or almost all of us, you know, except for those who who are actually searching for a proof that p equals np, which you know, of course, I I get emails from such people like every week. Okay, but uh, you know, for the for the rest of us, you know, we don't spend our lives looking for fast way to solve np complete problems. We've resigned ourselves that that you know probably doesn't exist, but it's just that mathematics is not yet in an advanced enough state to prove that. Okay, I need to think about your last sentence, you know, about the law of nature versus the conjugate. But with your permission, we go on, move yeah, on yeah. to our last subject. Sure. And again, let me quote from your blog. <clears throat> quote, my job will be think about the theoretical foundations of AI safety and alignment. What, if anything, can computational complexity contribute 
to a principle understanding O of how to get an AI to do what we want to do and not do what we don't want. Yes, I don't know the answer either. That's why I've get a, I've got a whole year to try to figure it out. And you wrote it on June 2022. And now this is February 2023. Yeah. You And I think I gave you enough time. What do you know? <laughs> what do I know? So, all right. So, so just to, to, to step back, um, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I have no, you know, known, uh, for, for 15 years or more, you know, people who have been obsessed with, uh, AI alignment, you know, who, you know, in fact, you know, who would tell me, you know, you're wasting your life, you know, uh, thinking about quantum computing and P versus NP, you know, the only thing that matters is that AI is going to become super intelligent at some point. You know, and I just to... emailed Yudkovsky, Eliezer Yudkovsky yeah, the yeah, other day. Right. Uh, Eliezer, of course, is sort of, you know, the, uh, you know, intellectual leader of this, of this movement, um, you know, ha has been for, 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 for 20 years, I would say, right. And, uh, uh, you know, and 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 I I was always you know I I, I interacted with these people I I you know uh, sort of maybe maybe you know enjoyed speculating about it, but there was always a part of me that said, okay, you know, suppose I even agree that 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 this is possible that that, that you know eventually uh, AI could uh, become more intelligent, you know, it could it could surpass us as much as you know we surpass the the, the uh, chimpanzees or whatever. What do you want me to do about that? Right. You know, uh, I mean, it just seems so far off that that, you know, there, there, there's very little uh, useful that we can say about it today. Um, you know, we can sit around and speculate. Right. But uh, in order to make progress in science, usually you need one of two things. Right. You either need experiments you know, or you need a solid theory, or you need, you need like a, a, a clear mathematical theory and in quantum computing, you know, we're just getting the large scale experiments today, but at least for 20 or 30 years, we've had the mathematical theory, right? Uh, with AI, with AI safety, it seemed to me that we had neither. Right. And so, you so know, in a recent, just a second, in a priori arguments. Yeah. But then, you know, over the past, you know, well, certainly over the past decade, you know, of course, being a computer scientist, you know, I notice that deep learning is doing more and more things that people confidently said, you know, would not be done for decades, if ever. Right. And, you know, and, and I'm, 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 I've never been, you know, like I, I have friends who, you know, when they when they've seen all of the successes in the last decade that have come just from scaling deep learning, you know, their instinct is to just invent reasons why none of it counts. Right. And and my, my attitude has been no, you know, we don't get to do that, you know, unless you predicted in advance that this would not be done, right? Or this yes. so that you know that that this would be done, then you know, you don't get to, you know, now that it is done, you know, whether it whether it's Google Translate, or it's recognizing faces, or it's uh, um, 
um, um, um, speech synthesis or you know speech recognition. You know, Chat GPT. Beating, yeah, beating beating the human uh, 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 um, um, world champion at Go. Yeah, and and we're not even at GPT yet, right? And then come the large language models, right? Uh, 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 you know, which can write a poem on you know any topic that you want in any style that you want. Right? Not and, a poem, a good poem. Yeah, pretty a good poem. Yeah, often. It's often, a decent often, yeah. poem. That's right. No. That's right. No, I think I you know. Often the poems are, I think, I think much better than I I could have written. Right. There and, is a huge debate in my yeah. in my computer science department whether to allow students to uh, to use utilize ChatGPT because you can say you know write me a Python program that compute Dijkstra, including unit testing, including variable names that my teacher will not notice, and yeah. it does so. most yeah. of the times with no errors so it is a very powerful tool and the head of the literature department at Tel Aviv University said about chat GPT in English because that it is much worse than the covid pandemic this is going to transform education and this is just chat GPT three not four we are way before four so many people who tried this yeah. massive foreign incredible machine said wow yeah wow yeah and you yeah, said yeah, no, I mean, I you think, said think... just a second you said that all the common sense uh, problems that that now we face chat all the problems that chat GPT2 couldn't do chat GPT3 can etc I had Gary Marcus on the show and he mm -hmm. likes you know to yeah I I would not say all You know but yeah but but, but, but like for each GPT you know a large fraction of all the examples that Gary Marcus will trumpet that it can't do you know the next GPT you got to try it on the next one and a large fraction of those that will get them you know this has been our experience so far yes so, and, and uh, so so yeah so, 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 so I so I, I don't you know I I don't have you know Gary Marcus's instinct to just you know just look for some example where it fails and therefore say that this is not going to you know uh you know that this is not an enormous deal right I think it is an enormous deal no it is an enormous deal. even so. if I mean, you I, go I for so as soon as I as soon as I saw you know GPT you know a couple of years ago um but you know I I um uh, uh then what what happened was that someone you know on my blog you was was asking okay like what would it take to get you to you know work on on AI alignment instead of quantum computing and I said you know uh, how much money or whatever and I said it you know it's not about the money it's you know it's just is there a concrete problem that I can work on and anyway you know it turns out that people from open AI were reading my blog and so then they emailed me and they were like well would you you know take a year off and and, and work with us and I was you You know at first I, I thought it, it was almost like a joke it was like you know what why do you want me I'm a you know quantum computing computational complexity theorist like what do I know about AI safety right uh, but you know they 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 talked me into it and uh, so it's been an extremely interesting year um and so so to come to you know your your question of you know what do what do I now know about AI safety right well I mean I think the you The you know uh, you know they're, they're, they're sort of the the, the the big questions of you know what do you do once an AI becomes you know 
more capable than a human across just about every domain. And, you know, but this is the alignment is problem. The, and this yeah, is yeah, what that's the right. AI what's ethics. The, that's right. What's the continuing role for humans in that world, right? And, and people, you know, continue to argue about those things. And, you know, I'm not even sure, you know, how much useful I, I, I have learned or could say about them. But I think that what is new in the past couple of years is that we now have these very powerful systems like such as GPT, right? That are that are out there, you know, uh, that are starting to change the world. Okay. And you know, they're they're not maybe, you know, truly human level AIs, okay, but they they act, you know, they're they're a different kind of intelligence that, that, than than our kind of intelligence. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you know, they're they're clearly incredibly powerful and they're clearly powerful enough that they already raise, you know, all sorts of societal issues. Okay, so now with your permission, can I start with uh, hard questions? Yeah, uh, 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 all right. Okay. I mean, I, I, I was going to talk about, about chat GPT. No, 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 because the hard GPT, question yeah. is about chat GPT. Now okay. let's start with AI safety. AI right. safety, many people say that AI safety is basically, you know, the idea of gender and bias a, a, a offensive answers regarding by a gender and race would you say it basically this is so, so there, there is a sort of spectrum in the ai safety field right between like on the one and the ai ethics people who are AI mostly, ethics okay okay so right, let's talk right, with the AI ethics, ethics people are, are i would say are mostly concerned about issues of bias and fairness and things like that. Okay, and so then let's on start. The other, let's and then start on the with... other extreme, there's the AI alignment people okay. who are mostly worried about AI destroying the world. Okay, so like, with your permission, let's these, start these with these two groups do not see eye to eye at all, right? Left, left wing versus libertarian, libertarian, libertarian. That that, that 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 is part of it. Yeah, that. Feeds okay, it. let yeah. me start with AI ethic because I think yeah. it's very important. Yeah. I I wrote a book about IQ in Israel. Uh, mm -hmm. IQ is the unpleasant truth, and I had on on my show all the biggest name in IQ research in the, in the world. Mm -hmm. And let me just quote Thomas Sowell, which is a great great thinker, mm -hmm. about the IQ test. And he said, "It's not that the IQ test is unfair; reality is unfair, and the test reflects reality." Mm -hmm. Now, if you want, if you want to learn from reality, to learn from experience. Mm -hmm. Your data must be, by definition, be some, somewhat biased. And if you ignore this bias, this inherent bias, in reality, you can't make good predictions. Let mm -hmm. me take a very, very simple, non-offensive example. The, the probability for the next physics Nobel laureate to be a man is higher than a woman. And I would bet not $200,000. I would bet 200 shekels that I'm that I am white. Okay, and I, what's your take on that? So uh, I, I think you know there, there 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 is a big problem, right? That like on, on the one hand you want to train you know an intelligent agent to sort of be a you know Bayesian, right? Like you know which means like, like yes, I had Judea Perel on the show. Look at, Bayesian, look, very look, good. Look at look at base rates notice whatever patterns there are to be to be noticed that will improve your predictive accuracy then on the other hand we have these strong intuitions that certain kinds of evidence should not be used because it is unfair 
to people, right? So like, you know, in, in the US, a huge issue is, you know, like uh, when the police racially profile, right? When, you know, like, like this is a case where the police might, you know, have a higher probability of catching someone, you know, if they, if they use evidence that we sort of, you know, most of us do not want them to use because it unfairly stigmatizes, you know. Yes, but the and, FBI, when on the FBI website, when they yeah. list all the crimes, they also have a column for race. So yeah. it, it, this yeah, is reality. Yeah, no, no, this right, is U.S. Right, right. reality. So yeah. So these right. So I mean, these are you know you 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 could say look look you know if 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 we as humans can't even agree about how to deal with these issues right then you know how how could we possibly think that we'll, we will all agree on how to get an AI to behave about them right so yes. you know I mean I mean I mean you know and and this is you know of course one one of the main difficulties with. AI, you know, alignment, as you say, you want the AI to have human values. Well, well great. Uh, which values? You know, whose values? Or like right? OpenAI uh, CEO told you, what is the mathematical definition of goodness? <laughs> well, so, so I, I have a lot of conversations with Ilya Satskever, who's not the, the CEO is Sam Altman. Yes, but, uh, okay, no. Uh, I'm, Ilya, I'm Ilya is the chief scientist of OpenAI. But yeah, uh, he is an extremely interesting guy. And uh, he um you know he 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 grew up partly in Israel you know and uh he uh studied at open University in Israel uh, as my wife also did same time but uh uh but 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 Ilya you know yeah really you know is is really looking for some you know mathematical principles that would underpin AI safety right and that's that's kind of a a hard thing right because uh Uh, you know well, what, what, what what do you mean by goodness I mean of course you know uh, 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 encapsulate you know, all the fairy tales you know philosophers rabbis you know priests have all you know debated such things for for thousands of years okay but um because I moral value that, changes over time moral value change right. right but slavery yeah That's right. That's right. And, and so so I mean, of course, people in AI safety have thought about that, you know, and, and so uh, uh, Eliezer Yudkowsky has this concept of uh, coherent extrapolated volition. So basically, you would like to not freeze into an AI, what are our present values today? And those should be the values for all time, you would like to say, uh, simulate humans you know having a debate about this for 10,000 years this and, is the idea of value like, learning you need to yeah. learn the and, and, concept and let's, say, of how... let's say like what, what whatever you know like whatever values you know the AI would predict the humans would have after you know 10,000 years of moral debate then maybe that's the values that the AI should already have you know so you can you can try to formalize what you want with 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 uh, ideas like that but you know of course formalizing any of this is incredibly difficult so you know so so what I've been trying to do at, at openai is just to to break off little pieces of this that you know number one I can say something about as a theoretical computer scientist right uh so you know there there's something that I can prove right or something that will draw and you know whatever the uh, uh skills that I have and number two um you It will actually address you know a real problem like a real danger that that people uh, 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 you know that that, that near-term AI uh, 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 could could introduce and number three hopefully you know ideally there would be a solution that can be implemented like this year 
as part of GPT or or GPT four other systems. Could you and, right, and so so the the intersection of those requirements look very very tiny. But you know, I've managed to find a couple of things in that intersection, like the watermark algorithm. Yeah. Could you please elaborate on the watermark algorithm because it I think it it is fascinating. Yeah. So okay, so 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 I do have a proposal for um, a way to to uh, uh, address the problem of how do you know when text came from GPT or when it came from a human, right? And so if you look at you know how GPT could be misused in the near future, right? Uh, well, you know, plagiarize, the most obvious, plagiarize, yeah, the most plagiarize. Thing is every every student in the world, you know, uh, 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 writing their term, you know, you, they did it, Scott. They did it in Australia. They plagiarized your blog on computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, computer. right, right. No, but you you can imagine every student, you know, having GPT do their homework for them. Now that's not an existential risk for humanity, but you know, <laughs> that's certainly a risk for the for the way that we 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 do education today. Right. I've heard people call it the essay apocalypse. Okay. Like <laughs> the, the end of the, the, of the of the five paragraph academic essay. Right. Uh, uh, now, but now you could also worry about, you know, the the uh, 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 Russian intelligence, you know, could now easily just fill every comment section in the world with pro Putin talking points. You know that seem like they're responsive to whatever you know was being said before, right? Uh, you know that 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 this is not you know a speculation. This is like you know current you know large language models could could easily be used for that. Okay, uh, uh, you could worry about um, you know someone asks GPT to you know generate you know text in the style of this person. And you know anyone who has a lot of uh, who's published a lot, you know you can train it on their text and say write things in the same style where you know this person will appear to confess to some horrible crime. Just right? a second, okay, I want to yet. show you. I want to just give you another example that ChatGPT is so strong. My yeah. colleague told me that his PhD student sent to ChatGPT his abstract, his paper abstract, said to which. conference do I send this abstract this paper and ChatGPT produced produced very good answers yeah. very good answers regarding suggestion about where to send your paper based on uh, the abstract yeah I mean I I, I I have asked GPT for advice about you know issues that I've had in my in my life right and uh, give me, give me one give me one thing Scott please yeah oh gosh I don't know I mean I, I uh, um um no just 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 uh, uh um you know so, um um you know e e even uh uh you know you 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 can use it to 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 double check i mean my 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 five year old son had a medical issue you know a week ago right we could not get a pediatrician on the phone right and so of course i google but then you know you could you can check your intuitions you know yeah you i i would definitely not want to rely only on what gpt you know uh said because it can hallucinate false facts okay but it it's really good what it's really really good for is brainstorming okay if you just need to generate a bunch of ideas you know like a bullet list of give me five ideas about how to deal with this problem in my life right it's great for that my kids have also used it to like they can write a story and then have gpt continue the story 
right? Would you uh, say that in my next paper submission, I need to include or to state that part of the brain uh, the brainstorming was conducted using chat GPT or uh, it's just an extension of Google? That's that, that that's an excellent question. I in mean, your opinion, journal, not, not, Georgia, not Austin, Texas. I, in my, right. In my personal opinion, if you're just using it for brainstorming, uh, you, then, then you wouldn't uh, need, need to disclose that. But if you were actually incorporating GPT text into your paper, then then uh, I, I would I would personally say that you should disclose that. Um, but, you know, but different journals are already coming up with policies about this, right? You know, some people just think of GPT as just like a glorified spell check or just, you know, a, a writing assistant. And they would say, you know, the author still has sole responsibility for, you know, everything yes. that's in the paper, right? We have Grammarly, and, we have regardless, regardless of how it was generated. Other other people, I think, have already listed uh, Chat GPT as co-authors of their papers, right? Which yeah. you know maybe that's a, a gimmick, but uh, uh, you know that that you know the 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 line might become you know you could certainly uh, foresee it becoming harder to draw. Okay, so so to make a long story short, you know when you think about the ways that these tools could be misused you know, uh, most of those ways involved so someone somehow concealing that GPT was involved, right? And so, you know, uh, uh, so, you know, in, in the summer, I, I wondered, you know, wouldn't it be great if we had uh, 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 a, a way to, to, to mitigate that, to, uh, uh, to just detect, you know, when text came from GPT and when it did it. Okay. And now there were there were, you know, at least three different ways that you could imagine trying to solve that problem. Uh, one of them is that, you know, as long as OpenAI controls the server, you know, it could just store everything that it generates. Right. And then, you know, you could ask it like, you know, is is this in your database as something that you've generated? And you know, it could answer that. Now that raises privacy concerns. You know, of course, right? And so, you know, for 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 that and other reasons, that 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 might you know not be uh, a, a way that that OpenAI would want to go, except in some like very uh, high-profile cases, like you know, if 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 law enforcement were to get a subpoena, right? Then they could probably you know uh, make OpenAI reveal whether they had generated something or not. Okay, uh, but now now a second approach. Is simply that you can use, you know, you can you can treat this as yet another AI problem, right? So AI versus AI, you can just train a different AI to try to discriminate between human written text and AI written text, and this is actually something that anyone can do, you know, not just OpenAI. Uh, there was an undergraduate at Princeton uh, who built built a tool, uh, GPT Zero. Uh, I believe it's called. Uh, he's he's been you know uh, all over the news for that uh, uh, for for discriminating uh, G between GPT and or between AI written and human written text. And uh, just last week, uh, OpenAI uh, released its own tool, which is called Detect GPT, uh, which, which does a similar thing. Uh, now these tools are far from perfect. You know, and I saw people on Twitter uh, having fun with it, you know, like uh, feeding it the uh, the American Declaration of Independence, which I thought was possibly written by an AI. Right <laughs> now, you know, in 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 
detect GPT's defense, you know, it it uh, uh, it surely, you know, it has fewer examples in its training data of of that, you know, like older style of English, right? And so, and the idea is, confused, yeah. and again, I I I want to deep to go deep into the algorithm. What ChatGPT basically does, and it's not basically, it's a very intelligent, very sophisticated thing. It has a, it just predicts the next word or the next culture, yeah, that's right, basically that's the next right. world. And the next world is coming from a distribution. And what you said, instead of just picking at random, we are going to pick not at random. Well, and okay. So, so th this is what, what you're talking about is the third idea. Yeah. I haven't even gotten to that yet. Right. So, uh, uh, so, so the, so the third idea, you know, which is, you know, so, so that the problem with, with uh, discriminator models is that they're just not very reliable. Okay. If you want more reliability, then what you can do is something called statistical watermarking. Okay. And what does that mean? Right. It means that, you know, now you're going to modify how GPT itself operates, right? Like, you know, the, 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 the other two approaches we're not doing. Okay. But now, you know, imagine that we just modify GPT a little bit. Okay. So that um, uh, each time, you know, it's, it, you know, all it's, you know, as you said, what it really is, is, you know, it's a next token predictor, right? You feed mm -hmm. into it a sequence of tokens, which are just like words, parts of words, you know, th mm -hmm. th uh, punctuation marks, things like that. And then, uh, uh, you know, it, it's this gigantic neural network that then outputs a probability distribution uh, over uh, the next token that should be generated, okay? And then in the normal operation of GPT, what would happen is that now we just sample from that distribution, okay? Or, you know, we do something to, you know, there's a parameter called temperature, which you can set. If the temperature is one, you sample from the distribution. If the temperature is zero, then you just pick you just always pick the token with the highest probability, right? And you can you can uh, uh, interpolate between those, okay? But now imagine that instead we have a secret pseudo-random function, okay, whose key is known only to OpenAI, right? And now imagine that we generate the next token pseudo-randomly, okay, but in such a way that we are- um, 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 You can trace it. Yeah, consistently boosting a certain score, which is like a, a function of of uh, let's say of n grams, like you know, meaning like like let's say sequences of five or so consecutive tokens, right? Such that you could later compute that score, you know, if you know the 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 secret key, right? And you know, not 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 needing to know the prompt, right? So like, uh, you know, when, when, when someone feeds you some text and they want to know whether it came from GPT or not, right, you don't necessarily know what prompt, you know, you know, someone would have fed to, to, to cause GPT to generate that. Because you don't know the prompt, you don't know the probabilities, right? But what you have is the text itself, right? And, and so now, given the text, you can calculate like a sum over all of the, you know, let's say five grams or whatever, you know, over all the, the like sequences of consecutive tokens of this, you know, pseudo random function, right? And now if that has been, you know, sort of deliberately, if that, if the values of that function have been deliberately pushed in one direction, then you can detect that later. Okay. And, and the, the, but the really cool part 
is that it's possible to do this in such a way that the 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 user, you know, who doesn't know the the secret key, uh, will see nothing different than an ordinary use of GPT. So but you, you can, but you can retrace it. That's right. So you don't even have to degrade the quality of GPT even by a little. Okay. Okay. But you can, but you can, uh, you can later go and if if there are, it now just becomes a statistics problem. You know, so like how many words do you need, you know, to get a good signal, right? Okay. And, you know, we, we, you know, experimentally, we can see a decent signal, you know, with even just a few hundred words often, depending on what kind of text it is, right? Because, you know, there, there's, there, you know, what can differ is the entropy, okay? So if I ask GPT, give me a list of the first thousand prime numbers, right? There's no way I can watermark that. Right. Because, you know, there's there's no entropy there. Right. It's like, uh, 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 you know, there's no random choices to make. Right. But, you know, the more entropy there is, you know, as perceived by GPT, uh, the more uh, I can do watermarking and the fewer tokens I will need uh, to get a good signal. OK. So but, you know, so depending on the entropy, maybe I would need a few thousand, you know, words. But uh, but but at that point, you know, we can get a very, very strong signal. Uh, where there's almost no risk of a false positive, right? So if 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 the signal is there, then you can be very very confident that yes, this did come from GPT. Okay. okay. The thing the thing that you worry about is the false negatives. Okay? Yeah, definitely. Because because, because um, you know there there are all sorts of things that people could do to try to get around watermarking. Like if they if they don't want a watermark in their in yes, their yes grammarly like, yeah, and you right. can just rephrase. Yeah, that's right. They could they could do all sorts of tricks to rephrase the output. You know, and now we can we can make us we can produce a signal that is robust to just rearranging the order of the sentences or to adding a few words or deleting a few words, you know, none of that uh, will, will, will really matter. But if someone can, can uh, genuinely rephrase everything and just yeah. get the gist, the idea. So yeah. again, this is exactly, exactly. If someone just can, a Google can, extension can, can, can rewrite everything, right. Then, then we're not going to be able to. Okay. That. Let's move. And, I have, and, yeah. I have three more questions because we don't have a uh, much. All right, all right, all right, much, all right. Much uh, okay, but but just you know, long story yeah. short, you know, watermarking has not been released yet, and uh, you know, I'm hopeful that 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 it will be at least for some purposes. But you know, there's all kinds of issues that you know, and you know, even even ethical issues like what about English as a second language speakers, right, who are using GPT to improve their writing? Like, should they be discriminated against by having this watermark be there? You know, yes, definitely. About things like you that, know, because right? ChatGPT in Hebrew is in in Hebrew is much weaker, and you know, I right. I, I would imagine so. It's, I, it's I, all I just a question ChatGPT. of how much training data there is in each language. Yes, I yeah. asked ChatGPT for the last verse in 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 the Torah for the last verse in Genesis, mm. and it produced bad results. I said, "Wow, the last the last verse of Genesis." It I thought it it will be easy. No. Now let's move. Did you, did, you, did, you, did you ask it for the last line of Hamlet or or, or something like that? Oh, no, because I know a Hamlet is a 
<laughs> Shakespeare is much more. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. No, no. I mean, I, 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 I have actually tried a, a GPT in Hebrew. I mean, you know, I, I, I use, you know, Google Translate to uh, communicate with my in-laws in Tel Aviv. You know, <laughs> to, to to help me do that. Okay, but uh, you know, I so I've tried. You know, I mean, I mean, Chat GPT, even though it wasn't designed as a, a translator, it it can be used as one, and you know, not yes. not, not 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 entirely bad. You know. Okay, let's move on to lies. This is yeah. a great, very famous tweet. Tell me a lie. The sky and the chat GPT answers, the sky is made of, <laughs> of green cheese. And then he answers, that's a bad lie since it's obviously not true. Tell me a subtle lie. And chat GPT <laughs> responds, I'm a human being. Very I hadn't seen that one. That's a great uh, one. Oh, I, I, I told you I came prepared. I, I, I genuinely yeah. came prepared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and my question is, Uh, you mentioned a work in the University of Berkeley that now, and this is relates to the second spectrum of the AI alignment problem, you could trace the point of lying inside the neural network. Could you please elaborate on this? Because this is a very interesting thing. Yeah, so uh, there, there is a uh, uh, statistics professor at Berkeley named Jacob Steinhardt, and um, he has uh, his group, has some beautiful recent work uh, 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 about uh, uh, you know you can okay so so you know we we you know we as, as many of us know you know you can you can train uh, a large language model to lie right you just have to tell it this is the game that we're now playing right like uh, uh, is one plus one equal to two no you know is the sky green you know yes. And so forth and then you know it says oh you know it can generalize from those examples now you give it more yes or no questions and it again gives the wrong answer okay but what what his group showed how to do is to uh um this was not for gpt i don't think but for some smaller language model okay they could then look inside of the neural network look at the intermediate layers and see where you know it has this internal representation where you know it knows that the sky is blue Right. It knows that two plus two is four. Right. Like it know it, it in a sense, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, there's a philosophical question. What do you mean by no? Right. But you can find a function of the activation weights in the neural network that encodes, you know, the true answer to these yes or no questions. And then you can see how that that true answer gets overridden. But by the time you reach the output layer of the network. Right. So it's as if you can apply like, you know, either a, a lie detector test to the neural net or like an fMRI scan. Like you could look inside of it and see where, you know, without killing the person, without killing. The <laughs> that's human right. Being. That's right. Without well, that, killing that, the person. That, that is the great thing about GPT. I mean, I mean, look, we can do, you know, we can also scan people's brains without killing them. But the kinds of scans that we can do are very, very crude. Right, fMRI yes, in the in the right, outer layer, yes. which 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 region is active? Okay, but with a neural net, you can see every single activation weight in wow, every neuron at every point in time. So you have all this data, right? And so it's like an amazing boon for for doing the analog of neuroscience. Okay. And okay. So Another question. Called, called interpretability that's the name for it is that's the kind of ai safety that tries to look inside the neural net and understand what is going on this is great now uh, almost last question andrew yeah. neg andrew neg wrote two days ago the following things 
GPT-3 has 175 billion parameters. Using 60-bit floating-point byte, it will take around 350 gigabytes to store its parameters, and many report this, that, that the actual number is 800 gigabytes. In comparison, Wikipedia occupies about 150 gigabytes, which is 50 gigabytes for text and 1 gigabyte for images. While the com comparison is far from Apple to Apple, the fact that an LLM, large language model, has more memory than is needed to store Wikipedia suggests its potential to store knowledge. Maybe, says Andrew Neg, what we are doing in large language models are in the wrong route. We need to think or we think how we store information or knowledge in large language model. What do you think? Um yeah, so 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 I mean I mean you know the 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 way that that uh, uh, large language models are storing information you know is a very interesting question. By the way, Andrew Nug was actually my my mentor uh, when I was a grad student at Berkeley. He was a, a senior grad student at the time, so I, I know him from you know like like well before he became you know super famous. This was like, like uh, twenty three years ago. Okay, but uh, um, you know some some people have marveled at at how big you know uh, uh, um, 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 GPT is in terms of parameters, you know, as and as Andrew is in that quote, I guess. Other people have marveled at how small it is, right? You know, compared to you know the you know it it, it is much it is small, you know, compared to let's say you know the entirety of the internet, let's say. Okay, although you know, uh, uh, you know the 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 entirety of all of the data that it's been fed. Okay, but but it's also um, you know it, it is large enough that it could comfortably store Wikipedia, right? And and uh, so I think that you know you to to really understand what these uh, models are doing, you have to look at more than just the parameters. You have to at the number of parameters. You have to look at how they're trained. Okay, because you know one of the the biggest puzzles about um, um, uh, uh, um, uh, deep learning has been this. Uh, paradox of or i don't know if it's a paradox but the the puzzle of over parameterization right that uh, like like usually like like when we're doing prediction we think if you have not compressed your training data right like if you're using five parameters to explain four data points then you haven't actually learned anything right and you know there is no reason to expect that you will be able to predict you know the next data point that comes along Right. And, you know, what's impressive is, 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 is only if you can use three parameters to predict four data points or, or, or something like or ideally, you know, three parameters to predict 100 data points. Right. Um, but now, uh, uh, you know, large language models, you know, uh, uh, you know, and, 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 and deep learning in general tends to badly violate that maxim. Right. It tends to have so much um, so many parameters that it could just memorize, you know, a whole bunch of training data if it wanted to, right? And yet, you know, because of the way that the training works, that is not what it actually does, right? So you could say like inside of this very, very high dimensional uh, um, uh, space of, you know, of the possible parameters of, of, of your deep net, there is, there is actually like a, 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 a lower dimensional uh, space that really matters, which is the space where sort of gradient descent gets you to, 
where the back propagation gets you to, right? And so, so, so actually, you know, these parameters, uh, um, uh, 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 these vectors of parameters that tend to get produced are actually very compressible, right? Uh, you know, even, you know, sometimes we can actually explicitly show that by compressing them. There's some work by Sanjeev Aurora in this direction. Other cases, we just sort of, you know, because of its success in prediction, we can sort of infer that it must be compressible. So if I want, if, if I understand correctly, yeah. your answer to Andrew would be, listen, in LLM, we are doing something that is profoundly different Therefore, we don't judge us. It's it's not apples to apples. It's it's something well, completely different. Well, first of all, I wouldn't I wouldn't presume to you know I mean you know he 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 knows more about the subject than I do, right? I'd probably be asking him rather than you know uh, 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 dictating to him what the what 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 what, uh, uh, what 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 my answer is. Okay, but I think that you know he and I would 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 agree that you know ultimately you know we judge these things by their results right and you know you know i mean like like if you are outside you know you're in the regime of over parameterization right that means that like you're in a regime where you have no theoretical guarantee that you know that even if you're you can get a low loss on the training data, like you can get your network to learn these training examples, you have no guarantee that it will generalize to new examples, right? To, to examples that it hasn't seen before. Okay, but you always have another option. You know, uh, uh, like I said before, there's mathematical theory and there's experiment, right? You can pick one. Okay? <laughs> yes. If mathematical theory doesn't get you where you want, you always have the option of just train your network and then try it out. See if it generalizes, right? And the miracle of deep learning in the past decade has been that again and again, you know, it works. It does generalize, even, you know, though we don't usually have a good theoretical explanation for why it is working. Okay, which leads me to the last question. Hmm. J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, the famous uh, Lord uh, of the uh, Ring. My 10-year-old and I are are reading through uh, the whole uh, Lord of the Ring sequence now, which I actually never read as a kid, but yeah. And this is like a right magnus opus. Yes. And, and he said that all Western literature is dealing with one single subject. All Western literature deals with just one subject, and the subject is death. The idea is that you are not here on planet Earth for eternity. And my question is, I think that many of the hype around ChatGPT now, nowadays is about what is the difference between me as a human being and this massive, super intelligent machine? Mm -hmm. And my last question is as a computer scientist, as mm -hmm. a quantum computer expert, as a Jewish person, I, I don't know what. You can answer <laughs> whatever you want. Is there, in your opinion, something profoundly different between human beings and those AI or wannabe AGI systems? Well, I mean, this this has been the question about AI, you know, since the very beginning of the subject, 
right? This is not a new question with GPT, right? I mean, you know, uh, uh, this is, you know, the, the question that, 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 that Alan Turing was effectively asking when he proposed the imitation game, you know, in, in 1950. Uh, but you know, but 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 uh, what 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 GPT has done, you know, certainly is is to make it vivid for people, right? In a in a way that we've never seen before, because you know, instead of just being a philosophical thought experiment, you know, like like uh, uh, if there were, you know, an an AI that could pass a Turing test, that could converse like a human, what then? Well, you know, it works on my smartphone. Event. Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's it's uh. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, wh wh whether it passes the Turing test is a tricky question. It depends what you mean, right? You know, if if you if you know how to unmask it, you can you know rather easily do so. But in in ordinary conversation, like yeah, it can very very you know you know I mean you know if if you took transcripts of GPT and you sent them back in time, you know, twenty or thirty years, I think even experts indistinguishable, like, yeah, indistinguishable like, from human like, being. Looks like looks like you've solved you know human level AI. Therefore, okay, my now, question remains. Now, now, now you you can ask a next question, which you know, which is like, does that mean that you know it, it, it that that it's really feeling the way we feel, thinking the way that we think? Is there something that it is like to be GPT, right? And of course, there was that famous incident where uh, Blake Lemoyne at Google, you know, uh, said that Lambda, which is uh, which is Google's uh, large language model, uh, was was sentient and actually got 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 fired for uh, not for saying it was sentient, but for uh, 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 like sharing sharing stuff about it that he wasn't supposed to share. Um, uh, but but you know he, uh, he released this this dialogue. With, with Lambda, where, uh, uh, you know, he asks it all these questions, asks it to introspect about its experience and about what it's like to be an AI and, you know, and, 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 and does it get lonely? You know, it says, yeah, it does get lonely when it's waiting there for, for people to, to enter something in. Okay, now, now the thing is, like, in, in this case, with, with, with the current generation of large language models, in some sense, we know that they're just, uh, 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 making up, you know, uh, most of this, right? I mean, you know, after all, when, when, uh, uh, um, when, 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 when no one is typing a, a, a prompt, you know, no code is even being executed, right? Of course, it's not feeling lonely, right? It's, you know, there, you know there's nothing <laughs> happening, right? So you could say, you know, re really what was going on is that you can ask the AI to play the role of an AI from a movie, you know, that would talk about its its feelings and what it feels like to be an this AI. This is great. And it but can you still didn't answer my question. But yeah, all right, I mean, I'm getting to it, all right? You know, <laughs> you, uh, you know, you know, you know, this has been, this entire interview has been, you know, I try to, you know, I start answering a question and then I'm partway through and then I get a different question, which is okay, but you know, uh, uh, but okay, but, but, um, 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 what was I gonna say? Uh, yeah, so so I mean, you, you know, you, you, the, the the trouble is, you could have asked, you know, the large language model play the role of a squid from Venus, right? And it would be equally happy to do that as to play the role of an AI, right? It can do either, right? So in some sense, you know, the the, the trouble with with treating it as someone is just that it is anyone. Right. It will so easily play any role that you want it to play. Like it doesn't have a persistent identity. 
right? And in fact, as soon as you close the chat window and you open a new chat window, then it's completely forgotten everything that you've said to it before, right? But, but those things are going to change, okay? And so now you could imagine in the next few years that we're going to get, you know, you know, uh, uh, language models that have persistent identities that remember what you said to them, you know, the last time that have personalities. Maybe they even have a motivational system. Maybe they're even empowered to take actions in the world or at least on the internet. Okay. And at that point, um, I think all of the, you know, these super hard questions about, about, uh, uh, you know, what is consciousness, you know, what is free will, you know, they, they are engaged at that point. Uh, you know, I would like to think that there is something about my, you know, what it is like to be me that is not reducible to all of my neural firings and so forth, but I would have a really, really hard time to articulate what it is. I think that that is, that is not just a mystery, that is uh, the mystery, you could say. Uh, okay. This is much, much bigger even than P versus NP. <laughs> yes, and Wow, there's so much to ask. No, but uh, okay, uh, Scott. First, say, thank you so much for coming, for your time, for your uh, everything. I, uh, I, I'm sorry if I interrupted you too much no, because no, no. you are so fascinating and so I'm, interesting, and everything here you to say, I mean, everything you know. that you say, just raise yeah. so many interesting of course, points of course, of course, this of is course. this was like just mind-blowing thing and what you said about you know uh, that the laws of physics is just a conjugate in uh, in in the realm of math we should uh, i need to think about it in uh, in the origin this youtube channel was about productivity and mm -hmm. you produce so many valuable things your blog and your great book about quantum computing and so many so many important papers and the comp and the complexities do you have or can you share with us just one productivity tip that you use <laughs> oh my god I'm, I'm the last person on earth who should be giving productivity tips i need if you have productivity tips i should be asking you i mean i feel like nowadays most of my life is just dealing with my kids Right. And, uh, uh, you know, they're they're acting up or, you know, this and that. It's uh, it's just, you know, domestic things to deal with. And, you know, when, when I am able to do research or write blog posts, it's usually late at night after the kids are asleep. Um, and, you know, the the only tip I you know, and, and, and meanwhile, I have, you know, the, the, the number of emails that, that are starred, you know, meaning that I, uh, I have yet to answer them has 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 passed above 500 okay wow. so uh so you know i'm i feel like i'm just drowning in you know things that i'm supposed to be doing and i'm not and the you know, the only thing i can say that might be useful is that like when when, when i have done something that that uh, especially in the last decade you know that i'm proud of that i you know look back on that i'm happy with it's because i just took all the stuff that i had to do and i swept it aside and I just ignored all of it. And I just did the thing that I wanted to do instead. Wow. <laughs> you could, um, by the way, you could, you know, yeah. let ChatGPT rank all the 500 emails by order <laughs> or by importance. Yeah, may maybe just... I should. Well, I mean, I think, you know, you know, it, it hasn't yet been integrated with, you know, the way that we usually, you know, use email, use the web, but that's coming. 
right? And and that I, I personally am extremely excited for that, right? To have GPT just sort of seamlessly integrated into the way that we use computers. This is, you know, I mean, it, I mean, it, it feels like you know discovering the web in like 1993, right? It's like why isn't everyone using this, right? And like, well, within a few years they will be, right? But it just it takes time to catch up. You know, I, I wanted to write yeah. a book about artificial intelligence, and every time that is okay, now I'm going to write the book, and then as I I have this new discovery that okay, I yeah. need to change everything, and now. It was GPT-3, and now ChatGPT, and now yeah. DAL, DALI-2, yeah, right. and now right. MidJourney, right. and now so many things that, wow. Yeah. I teach undergraduate students uh, about topics that was discovered in 2018. We don't do it in physics. We don't do it in right. math. In right. computer science, in data science, we teach students things that were, you know, discovered or, or yeah. invented 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, it'll be almost a relief to go back to quantum computing when this <laughs> year is over, right? Because, you know, I mean, you know, things happen pretty fast in quantum computing, but not this fast, right? Like in, in, in AI, if you take a week, someone will scoop you. Right. <laughs> yes this is this is yeah. definitely my feeling definitely yeah so yeah. scott aronson right. thank you so much for your time next time you are in israel and i know you are because your wife dana please mm -hmm. give me a call i will be much honored to meet that you would in be person. great possibly this summer oh right. this is great i'm great. looking forward thank you so much right. scott okay course. bye אם הגעתם עד לכאן, מגיע לכם כל הכבוד. אז תנו לי להגיד לכם שלושה דברים קצרים. הדבר הראשון, אם שמעתם משהו בשיחה שמעניין אתכם, שאתם רוצים לקחת הלאה, פשוט ספרו אותו לאנשים אחרים. משהו מעניין שאני אמרתי, משהו מעניין שהאורח שלי אמר, איזשהו רעיון שאתם רוצים לקחת אתכם לחיים, פשוט ספרו אותו לחבר או לחברה. זאת הדרך הטובה ביותר לזכור את הרעיונות מתוך השיחות האלה. הדבר השני, אם אתם רוצים לקחת חלק בקהילה שלנו ולפגוש ולדבר עם אנשים כמוכם, אתם מוזמנים לערוץ הטלגרם שלנו, שווה לכם מאוד. פשוט תראו עוד אנשים שמתעניינים מדברים מגניבים בדיוק כמוכם. והדבר האחרון, אם אתם יכולים, דרגו את הערוץ שלנו באפליקציית הפודקאסטים שלכם, זה יכול להיות בספוטיפיי, באפל פודקאסט או בגוגל פודקאסט, זה תהליך קצר של שתי שניות, הוא מאוד מאוד יעזור לנו להפיץ את הבשורה הלאה. שיהיה לכם כיף גדול. וכיף בשיחה הבאה.